I've been looking forward to this one. We've been a long way together, haven't we, David? We have. From start to finish. I mean, I don't know how many reporters and politicians can say that, but uh, you were a local TV political guy here on KY3, our number one station back in the day. And when I started out, auctioneer, real estate broker, and decided to run for Congress. So uh, I'm glad you laid that out. That's That's what I wanted to tell my listeners and viewers that don't know we have a history. This is Congressman Billy Long, who I met, I believe, in 2009. That's when you yeah. launched your first house campaign. Right. Super Bowl Sunday, February 2nd, 2009. It came out in the Springfield paper that uh, if Blunt leaves, who follows? And it had about seven or eight of us named in there. And Chad Livengood, who you knew back in the day. Yes. When the newspaper actually had a uh, political reporter too, along with our TV stations, of course, none of that's happening anymore. But uh, Chad called up and he said, I hear you're thinking about running for Congress. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, you're not thinking about running for Congress. I said, no, I'm running. So, uh, yes. Ah, yes. As soon as Blunt announced that he was going to run, I said, I'm in. So. So, yeah, I was a political reporter in Springfield for the NBC affiliate, Springfield, Missouri. And that's why we have this history. And I can say this. I personally like you. I always thought you were straightforward. You have sort of a playful sense of humor. You don't take yourself too seriously. You're usually direct for a politician. Put the politics aside just as a person. And living in Springfield, which is still close to my heart, I was there for five years of my life. I met so many great people there. And, you know, you had your rise, actually, when I was leaving. I left in 2010 to take a job at Politico, and that's when you won your first seat, your first uh, term, I should say. And here we are now, 12 years, I guess 13 since we met, but 12 years later, after six terms, this is your final term because you decided to make the jump to run for U.S. Senate this year in that crowded primary. Do you have any regrets? Do you wish you would have stayed in the House? No, and I think that I think it was you. I might be mistaken, but out of Golden Corral, we were having a little get-together of some type. I don't know if it was veterans or what, and I believe it was a reporter, and I think it might have been you said, are you going to take a term limit? pledge and i hadn't really thought about it I hadn't thought about taking a term limit pledge and i said i don't know and mel hancock who is the father of the hancock amendment which if you think uh, amendment 13 howard jarvis california the first tax limitation amendment mel hancock was a local businessman here and he came forth with the hancock amendment which limits our taxes here in missouri he later through that name recognition he gained ran for Congress and served. And Mel had stayed completely away from DC. He did not like DC. He never once went back. It was his term was done. That's who Roy Blunt replaced when Mel uh, hung it up. Right. He did do four terms. And he never came around any political rallies here in Greene County or anywhere and just completely stayed out of politics. But I was friends with Mel. I'd been a talk show radio guy for six years. From and an auctioneer. Yeah. Oh, auctioneer, 31 years, real estate broker, 32 years. I did talk show in between three hours every morning, Monday through Friday for six years from 99 to 06. And I'd interviewed Mel as a 
the uh, congressman, former congressman, I mean. And so I went out to this house, him and Suge live out off I-44 out here. And I, you know, trying to get him to endorse me. No one's seen him. No one's heard from him. He stayed out of politics. And on the third or fourth meeting, I said, well, Mel, I know that you took a term limit pledge. You took a four-term pledge, eight years, and you lived up to your pledge. I said, would you recommend, or would you do it again? I didn't say, would you recommend I do? But I said, would you do it again? And he thought and thought and thought. And he looked down, he looked up. He said, yes, but eight years is not enough. And I arbitrarily came up with six terms, 12 years. So either way, I was coming home, whether Blunt left and ran for the Senate or whether uh, my 12 years was up. And Jim Bohannon, who uh, I know that you know also, Dave, yeah. uh, unfortunately has a very uh, terminal case of cancer right now, had to hang up his microphone after 30-some years the other day. And the story behind Jim, Han Jim Bohannon, Larry King had a nighttime radio show, the number one nighttime radio show in the United States until this little thing called cable TV came around, Ted Turner and CNN, and they hired Larry King, so they needed a replacement, and Jim had filled in a time or two for him, and so Jim started that long career, so the week of orientation, a lot of people don't know how Congress works or how they educate you on what goes on in Washington, but the day after the election, on the 9th, one, six days later, you're going to be in D.C. with your chief of staff and your wife or your husband, and you're going to be with uh, your lead person if you don't have a chief of staff. And it's a whole week of orientation. So during that week, Barbara and I called Jim and Annabelle up and said, hey, we want to take you out to dinner. We went to the Palm restaurant there in D.C., which I think was the, it was twice for me to go to the Palm my first and my last time. Not that the food's bad, the food's great. But the ceiling is harder than a rock. It's loud in there. You can't hear yourself think. Yeah, like it's it. very loud. But it's a place to be seen in D.C., I think, for all well, the politicos. But uh, so anyway, uh, Jim said, well, Billy, I know you took a term limit pledge. And he said, I want to give you some advice. He said, when someone thinks that the continuation of the United States government is dependent upon them returning to Washington, it's time for that person to go home. And so it's time for me to go home. So you stuck to it. Hats off, because a lot of a lot of uh, your colleagues break the term limit pledge. A lot of guys that came in in 08, 10, 12 made a pledge and are still there. But you so you but you did look for a promotion in this in the Senate race. Now, and I, and I said at the time when I took the pledge, I said six terms in the House, two in the Senate. OK, you would have taken a, t a pledge in the Senate, too, and gone out. OK, no, I said. No, but I mean, I did that at the time when I first ran. I didn't just say right. six years, you know, six terms and go home. I said, if you did six in the house, six terms in the house, two in the Senate, that's, two in the Senate. Years. that's a quarter century. Come on. I mean, that yeah, that's plenty of time for anybody. And so, yeah, I did. Uh, but the funny thing is, and you know, some of the people that I'm thinking about, I'm going to call names, but some of the people that the day I got sworn in in Congress, January 3, 2011, they said, now, you took a term limit pledge. You took what's kind of like the fight club. You know, you don't talk about the fight club. Well, if you take a term limit pledge, you don't talk about it. Because, well, you can talk about it here, though. Well, yeah, but I mean, you don't talk about it when you're in because then people say, well, if you're looking for committee assignments or something to do. You know, oh, right, because they'll, they'll think you're a lame duck. On four years, six years. We don't want to give him that position. So yeah. it's a pledge. And But the people that came to me and said, you know, now, remember, you took a pledge, you took a pledge, you can only serve six terms. Those exact same people, when I filed for Senate, they said, 
you really need to stay in the house. You, 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 you really need to stay in because they didn't want me in this Senate. Who are those people? Uh, you know, I think, you know, uh, we can talk off air. Okay. Well, but the Senate race seemed to be about one thing who could get Donald Trump's endorsement. You, you seem to try very hard to secure that endorsement, but was unsuccessful. Why weren't you able to convince him? I, well, a combination of things, but I'm the guy that originated the phrase Trump train. I mean, I was with him from day one. Right. I, I never left him when the Billy Bush tapes came out. I never you had him on the dollar bills that you'd hand out. Right. $45 bill. Cause he went $45 bill. Yeah. I, uh, uh, President Bol- Bolsonaro down in uh, Brazil. We were on a trip to Brazil. And I was with eight angry Democrats a few years ago. And we were down there to see the, about their soybeans and corn and things that they were make building ports for and roadways and then ways to get them to the ship them over to China. And we, I went with the agricultural committee and there was eight Democrats and me and Bolsonaro's comes in the room in the corner of the room, there's American flag and a, and a Brazilian flag there. And he comes up this long conference table, making his way and he's shaking hands with the uh, Democrats like a dead fish, just barely, you know, gripping their hand like this. And he comes up to me, I'm the last dog to die, eight Democrats and one Republican. He comes up to me, I held out a $45 bill. And I said, here, Mr. President, I brought you this. He grabs it from me, bear hugs me, turns turns me around, starts mugging for the live TV cameras. He loves Trump. And yeah, so- but you don't, do you think Bolsonaro is a good actor down there? Isn't he trouble? I, I, he's doing a, you know, I mean, they've got another, they've got their contest still coming up. And I think he's probably going to win that again. That's for the people of Brazil to decide, not for me. But uh, I don't. Yeah, being a bad actor, but that was. Uh, but my point is, I gave those out all over the world. Right, but it didn't. Trump in the had, end, Trump, Trump wants winners. He wants. He picks winners, right? He picks based on the polls. Is that what you learned from that experience? A combination of things. I mean, the main thing was that his future daughter-in-law was Eric Greitens, national finance chair. So you yeah, got you're referring to Kimberly Guilfoyle. Yeah, Kimberly Guilfoyle was Eric Greitens, national finance chair. Why? And that that was a bigger hill than I thought it would be. But that I announced from Tucker Carlson, and it was one year before the election on August third, I believe, of twenty. What would have been twenty twenty one? I went to New York and did Tucker's show and left there. Went over to Trump Tower. Went up to the twenty sixth floor, and uh, Donald Trump and I sat and talked forty five minutes at his desk. Just two guys, no staff or anything. And he said, so you're, you're in. I said, no, I'm not in yet. But when Tucker airs tonight, I'll be in because I told him I'm in. And he said, you're in without my endorsement. I said, you know, Mr. President, I'm going to win this with or without your endorsement. I'd love to have it. And yeah, I started from that day forward trying to, but you know, everything, everyone I talked to, they, they had another dog in the hunt, whether it was a national fundraiser or whoever it was, you know, and some of them, you know, didn't want to go against, uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle. They, they just didn't, you know. They, so Kimberly they, Guilfoyle was the was the hurdle that could not be overcome, you think? Just her ties to the Trump family. It was a combination of everything. I mean, the polling numbers, the uh, you know, but the big thing, if you look at uh, Missouri senators over the years, if you look at Tom Eagleton, if you look at Jack Danforth, if you look at John Ashcroft, if you look at Josh Hawley, what do those four people have in common? 
They were all Missouri Trump. attorney generals. Oh, attorney Eric generals. Smith is our Missouri. When you're the attorney general, that's the that's the thing that I didn't calculate was yeah. powerful. Yeah. The, the pulpit is from the AG's office. You can hold a news conference every every day and uh, get, you know, worlds of uh, earned media. And, uh, you know, Eric did a very good job and he had a lot of support in the St. Louis area and around and he had uh, the Americans for Prosperity behind him. And so, yeah, he had a lot more support than uh, I gave him credit for at first, I guess you'd say. So it's a combination of things and it just didn't work out. But I said all along the way, I said, you know, on, on August the 3rd, I'm going to be the happiest guy in the state of Missouri. I'll either be headed to the Senate or I'm going to be headed home. And so I'm headed home. And yeah, 12 years, Dave, I mean, it, and you know, you've been there, you've lived it, you've seen it, how much Washington has changed, how much the role of a congressman has changed. And uh, you've got to be a celebrity today. You've got to try and get your face on TV every single day. And when I heard my chief of staff, he said, we're not putting you on TV. And I said, we're not. He said, no, he said, you just, you just do your, do your work and you're better. A lot of these guys try and be celebrities and they say something silly and, you know, gets him in more trouble. And so I, I never went that route. I never was calling up. You didn't want to do TV. I'm sorry. You didn't want to do the TV hits, the cable circuit. No, I, I mean, I didn't, I mean, my chief had been there longer than I had. I'd been there a day and I listened to him and I just didn't want to become a, you know, celebrity yeah. if you play on TV hits every night on I watched my call. I mean, Jason Chaffetz, he's made a tremendous career out of it. Uh, Sean Duffy, I came into Congress with, you know, a lot of them go that route, and that's fine. Nothing against it. It's a great way to yeah. go. You get a good salary when you're out of Congress for doing it and, you know, doing the cable shows and everything. But I, I, you know, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't mind to do some of it now, and I wouldn't mind to do a thing. But, you know, I'm kind of a halfway entertainer. I, I you know. Yeah, now you can go the Claire McCaskill route. She's on MSNBC. Has got the, she's got the gig. You could go on Fox or any of these cable and give the Republican conservative yeah, perspective. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. And I wouldn't mind doing that at all. But I I just I don't know what uh, it's going to be, you know, in, in the future. But the cable, the cable deal, like I said, Jason, you know, every single night he was over on a Fox show every night. He, he even had his own earpiece molded, you know, and he was proud of that. and everything. Now Jason he, who? Chaffetz. Oh, Chaffetz, of course, of course. Yeah. Let me let me just close the circle on the Trump thing. Did you ever have a post-mortem with him after the primary? Did you ever say, or did he ever say, hey, Billy, sorry I couldn't be with you, but, the po you know, well, I, I had to go with the, you know, he did that funny thing where he endorsed both Eric's. But, yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I tweeted out, I said, I think he just endorsed me because he said, you know, <laughs> pick between the Eric's, and, and it just so happened that Eric Schmidt was second on the ballot. I was third, Eric Grattan was fourth. And I said, if you pick between the Eric between two and four, that's me. I'm third on the right. ballot. I, I think Trump just endorsed me. Uh, I, I saw him like a week before. He made his first repeat trip to first time back to Washington, D.C. a week before the election. And he he always would call me out of a crowd. He I campaigned over in Nebraska uh, for the governor, for governor candidate over there. And I, Herbster, Charles Herbster. And and he'd always call me out of the crowd and he'd always say great things about me. But I, I can't answer your question, Dave. You know what? I'm I'm not young. I'm not attractive. I'm not, you know, I mean, some of these guys that, you know. You're are Billy young. Long, though. You're Billy Long from Springfield, yeah, Missouri. That and back in 2011 or 2012, the Washingtonian Magazine, they'd do the nicest guy in Congress, who I remember was Brett Guthrie, and, and the this, that, the best dressed, the worst dressed. The, but and the funniest guy in Congress 
I got second place to a guy named John Boehner. A lot of people don't remember John Boehner. <laughs> but really? I got, you were second to John Boehner for funny. John Boehner my freshman year. And he ah. talked today. They say the funniest guy in D.C. is Billy Long. So, and, uh, and I was one of the most traveled members of Congress. And uh, I went everywhere. I was co-chair of the Congressional Study Group on Japan. I was, uh, I led a bipartisan delegation. That's another thing. I've got as many friends on the Democrat side as I do the Republican. I'm a very conservative Republican, but still I'm a people person. Who do you like on the Dem side? Who are you buddies with on the Democratic side of the aisle? John Larson over there on, on the Dem side. Uh, Ami Barra on the Dem side. Uh, uh, Carball, I can't even pronounce his name, but uh, Salute, Carball, whatever. And I, I mean, a, a ton of them. And okay. there's, uh, but we're, you know, and they all know they can come to me. They all know that, uh, you know, we can work on things together. Diana DeGett and me were co-chairs of the Congressional Study Group on Japan for uh, six, seven years. We take delegations over there. We'd meet with Prime Minister Abe every single time. He'd always give us an audience at a conference table. And uh, a funny story, when Trump first got in, he invited six or eight of us that had been with him from day one, like Marsha Blackburn and Mike Kelly and those folks over to the White House in that little room right off the Oval Office. And we're in there and Abe had just come. And I told Abe, I said, you're gonna love Trump. And I told Trump, you're gonna love Abe. And Abe had just come in. He was his first, I think, foreign visitor, uh, foreign head of state visitor. and and so they just played golf the day before. And so I leaned up, I've got this picture in my office and I leaned up and I looked at Trump and, and I said, well, I know the prime minister Abe was here. I said, what did he shoot? And Trump was, oh, he's a good golfer. He's a good golfer. And he, he wouldn't, you know, commit the, to what he shot. And I said, well, you know, I'm going over there in two days. I'm leading a delegation over there. And I just wanted to, you know, visit with him back to the golf game or something like that. And so, any, and there's a whole gaggle of press in there behind the table. I think they're in there shooting B footage. So we get in the meeting with Abe and Diana to get opens the meeting up and says, you know, we're happy to be here and all that stuff that you always say in those type of meetings. And, and so it was Prime Minister Abe's turn to speak. And instead of, you know, saying the first thing worded out of his mouth was he looks at me, I'm right, Diana's directly across from him. I'm on the seat next to her. He looks at me. He says, Congressman Long. I heard you talking about me on Fox News the other day. And so it was all live and I hadn't, I hadn't realized it. And, I, and they chastised me before I went in the room because they said it's against protocol. You cannot take uh, the prime minister any gifts and we know you have a gift for him. And, and I said, let me- What worry. did you, oh, you brought him something from Missouri. Yeah, I said, let me, I said, let me worry about that. Of course, I knew I was going to do what I wanted to anyway. So <laughs> but you I still said, brought him the gift after the warning not to. Oh, oh, oh yeah, they were furious. And so- <laughs> Our people were the Japanese weren't. And, gonna call uh, a diplomatic. You're gonna cause a diplomatic uh, event. Yeah. So, and so I said, uh, I said, well, Mr. Prime Minister, I had a little problem. I said I had, and not that I have. I had a problem. I had a little problem. I said, you know, I, they said I could not give you a gift. They said it was against protocol. But I solved that problem. And I leaned down, and picked up a sack, set it on the table, gift bag, and I pulled out a. Uh, golf hat with the house logo on it with the house representative hat he took that then i gave him a dozen golf balls with the house logo on it hand him that he was just eating it up then i held up a big red golf towel with the house logo on it and i said i solved that problem because i've got you three gifts not one so i figured that kept me from getting out of trouble yeah you laid it on 
but I couldn't give him a gift. But yeah, I gave him three instead. So I'm writing a story about this. So I want to ask you about the NRSC and Rick Scott and how you think he has been as a, as the chairman of the NRSC since you ran in a Senate race this year. He was very kind to me all the way through. He, I think he was, you know, frankly, I think he was pulling for me. He told me how to, what to do at Mar-a-Lago and how to do it and who to talk to down there. And he, in fact, he told me, he said, you go down there, you plant yourself and you tell Trump, I'm not leaving until I get the endorsement. Well, you know how that go with Oh, Rick Scott told you that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He told me that. Some people have, you know, he got in the crosshairs with McConnell this year. And some people say he's been too aggressive. But you think he was was good and, and has run the committee fairly and effectively. Yeah, well, yes, yes, very much so. And one thing that uh, is funny is that he came out with his 11-point plan, I believe it was, if you remember, because McConnell, I said, what are you going to do if you get back, you know, in power? And McConnell looked and he said, I'll decide that when we take take back the Senate. Yeah. So Rick Scott's like, hey, that's not good. We need to tell the people what we're going to do. So he came up with the 11-point plan. One thing was to raise taxes or I don't know, raise taxes, but start a tax on everyone. He said, not everybody paid taxes. Right. Politico, who you worked for at one time, came up and said, called 27, 27 United States Senate candidates and wanted to comment on Rick Scott's tax plan. Now, I'm friends with Rick, and Rick had tried to help me get the endorsement, all that stuff. I'm sure he, he might have helped some others. Who knows? And, uh, but, uh, I guess how many out of 27 would make a direct comment about his tax plan? Two. One. You. One. And one. One. And I said, my comment was this. I said, you know, I think it's ill-advised. And I think that if uh, Rick Scott wants to raise taxes, Joe, this is months and months and months before inflation got completely spiraled out where it is today out of control. But I said, number one, I think Rick Scott's plan to raise tax. I said, everyone pays taxes. Go in the convenience store, buy something, ring it up, whatever, you know, clothing, whatever you buy, everyone pays to, for him to say no one, you know, there's a group of people that never pay tax. We need to put a, a tax. He was on. talking about income tax though, right? I said, uh, I said, I want to put a, uh, well, still though, if you say no one, they, they, they don't pay any Tax, yeah, yeah. income tax or gas tax or what it is. If you're filling up your car, you're paying tax. And I said, number one, I think it's ill-advised. And number two, I got news for Rick Scott. If he, if he wants to raise taxes, Joe Biden beat him to the punch because inflation is the highest tax increase we've ever had in this country. And Rick Scott wasn't, even though you, you were sort of buds with Rick Scott and he was helping you, he didn't mind that you came out against his plan, even though all these other Senate candidates ran oh, from the oh, question. No, he wasn't phased at all. I saw him at CPAC shortly after that, and he came up and gave me a big hug. I mean, we, yeah, I mean, yeah we're fine. I mean, he, you know, I, I'm not sure if he's from Missouri or went to school in Missouri, but he's got a, you know, I know he went to school that here, and I think that he is uh, from, he used to be in the Kansas City area, so I, I consider him a Missourian. Okay. So all is good with Rick Scott. Yeah. You, I know you got into it in the heat of the campaign with Senator Hawley. Has that relationship been repaired? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it was what it was and it is what it is, I guess you could say. But I saw him at the state fair with Senator Blunt sat right next to him at the big event there. And I was there. It was and I Claire Claire's a buddy. Claire McCaskill's a buddy. And I saw her at the 
unveiling of the Truman statue in the rotunda, you know, a few weeks ago. And we were, she's always very friendly to me. I, like I said, I get along with the Democrats like I do the Republicans. I may have never, ever, ever vote like they do. Yeah. But to me, we're people. We're just, at the end of the day, we're human beings. And we need to respect each other. We need to be friends. And yeah. So we got in the, you know, situation where Holly was endorsing another candidate. And I called him on it like two days before he did it and went through all that rigmarole. But anyway, anyway, we're sitting at the Roy Blunt farm dinner there at the state fair, Missouri state fair in Sedalia. And uh, there it happens every year, but off that there's like an open end of the building we were in and there's a PA system. And it always sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, (laughs) you know, making announcements on the fair. And so Holly's right, right in the middle of his speech or comments he's making. And I'm sitting right next to him, you know, and all of a sudden, and I said, is that Claire McCaskill? <laughs> I got a big laugh. That's pretty good. Um, so what in your tr- oh, now oh, you oh, oh one thing. Go ahead. I was at a KY3 one day, your old old station, yeah. Hints, who is now with Convoy of Hope, which yep. is great for organizations helping all these disasters. Uh Ethan Forehands was the anchor for a long time there. And I don't remember the subject matter of the topic or whatever. And, and so I go in and Ethan interviews me and, you know, I tweeted out some smart aleck thing when I left there. I said, I said, I just did an interview at KY3 and I was hoping to get, I don't know if I said Steve Grant or Tony Beeson, who'd been there years and years ago. Yeah. Away. But I said, there's some guy I never heard of it. Ethan, something or other. Of course, a total joke. And right. McCaskill, she tweets at me. She goes, it's because you're never home. That's Ethan Forehands. He's the anchor. Blah blah. You know, I'm like Twitter. She didn't. She humor didn't get the joke. Always, humor doesn't. No, humor doesn't always come out well on Twitter. I've learned. Over yeah, years. yeah, yeah. And, so uh, in your in your 12 years in Washington, what has been the thing that surprised you most from when you got there to now? What's something that you didn't think of that you'd experience or that you'd come away with? you know, just being part of the, the, the DC ecosystem um, that stays with you now? Well, a lot of people, that was the first question everybody always asked when I first, what surprised you more than anything? And I said, nothing. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, I was smart enough to know at 55 years old when I got sworn in that whatever I perceived being a congressman would be like, I'd be wrong. I said, I'm good with rolling with the punches. So I didn't go in with any preconceived notions, but I can still answer your question. And your question on when we went in with 87 new Republicans and nine Democrats that year, nine new Democrat congressmen, 87 new Republican congressmen, a big 40 seat, 46 seat majority, whatever we had in the day. I really thought, as a lot of my colleagues did, I think that we could get things done. But you find out real quick when and we and uh cloture in the Senate when you find out real quick, if you don't have 60 seats in the Senate, yeah, you don't have a whole lot. And Boehner has, you know, Speaker Boehner, and I love Boehner. I got along with him great. And, but he could not corral. We were going to cut, we, we ran on the fact we'd cut a hundred billion dollars. I think it was at the time. And we got in And so we were going to pass a bill to cut 60 billion. I said, well, well, well wait a minute. I thought we we're going to cut a hundred. We all ran on that campaign on that. And 
I said, well, if you figure it's the end of the fiscal year, it's 60. Okay, I'm good there. We'll, we'll do 60. We couldn't get 218 votes out of 246 of what we had. Why? Because it wasn't good enough. A lot of the guys were, oh, we need to cut more, need to cut more. And I said, you know, Ronald Reagan said, I'd rather get 80% of what I want and live to fight another day as I would to go off the cliff with my flag held high. But now the incentive is to go off the cliff because you get all those national cable hits and notoriety for people who want to build a national brand and maybe run for president, right? Isn't that the incentive now to be a social media star and not take 50%? You know, and raise three or four million your first in your first three months there, I didn't raise three or four million in 12 years, you know? Right, right, right. I, I think I was a very effective congressman. I think that I did a, you know, when I ran the first time, I said, uh, I looked in the camera and I said, I'm going to do the right thing for the right reason every day that I'm there. And that's actually what I tried to do. Very proud of my time in Congress. I, like I said, I was one of the most traveled members. I could tell you story after story after story about going around the world and, and everybody would, uh, especially in the 2010, not 2010, excuse me, the 2015, 2016, uh, those years in there, you know, who's going to be president? Who's going to be president? And, you know, and you'd go around the table and it'd be Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat on our congressional delegation that was there. And, you know, whoever it was at the Mumbai Stock Exchange or whether it was Angela Merkel's office or Prime Minister Abe's office or wherever we were, everyone wanted to know who was going to be president yeah. and uh you know we'd go around the table republican democrat and they'd say hillary 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 until i got around to billary and billary <laughs> said trump and oh i got laughed out of every everywhere yeah. around the world. i mean and and so uh yeah you know but you have to have boots on the ground you've got to go see your allies and you've got to let them know you're there they love you for it. They, to think that a congressman would take time out of their schedule to come see them in their country means a lot to these people. And a lot of these folks that, like you say, they're TV stars and everything, they never travel. It's, oh, it'll hurt me at home. The people, I, they can't, you know, they think I'm going on these luxurious trips. Well, you ride in some of those military planes that we take and tell me that that's, you know, the life of luxury. Yeah, yeah. It, it can but, be tough for sure. I mean, traveling just in general. 13 hours, 13 but, hours Shanghai and you land and you got to go look at the UPS facility that's having a problem. You got to look at the Boeing where they're retrofitting the commercial airliner cargo and, and trying to argue yeah. with the Chinese government on last mile of service and things. And so it, it's, it's not a glorious trip, but it needs to be done. And I did a lot of it. But since you are such a prescient prognosticator off of your Trump prediction early in 2015, let's look, let's wrap up looking to the future. How many House seats are Republicans going to gain in the midterm? I started at 40. I 40? Got, I started at 40. I got down to 16. I asked Jason Smith, who's traveling around the whole country, campaigning for people every day. He's he's calling it at 28. So I think the you know, I'm, I'm going up the scale. The worse the economy turns here, the, there's a diesel shortage right now. Uh, we're not producing our own uh, energy anymore in this country. We were energy independent when Biden got in. And all that being said, I'm on a you, you do the math between 28 and 40 right in the middle. So you think t between 28 and 40 seat pickup yes. for Republicans, that's uh -huh. that's a that's a wave then. If it's between yeah, 28 it's and 40 wave. and 
unless we're getting, you know, false numbers, uh, it looks like that everywhere you look, it's, it's getting better and better every day for Republicans. But I'm, I'm a realist too. I mean, a lot of times you can't believe the polls and, uh, you know, figures lie and liars figure. And, and so, uh, but, you know, just reading the tea leaves and things that for a non-politician, I always had a pretty good political gut to uh, be able to call things. And like you said, I yeah. wanted to say Trump would win. I, Virginia Fox, you know, Virginia, and she uh, had me down to a fundraiser in North Carolina there, Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Now, how a rock can blow, I don't know, but that's the name of the place. So it's in this, you know, this millionaire's house and and all these high dollar folks are in there and, you know, raising money for Virginia Fox reelection. Yeah. Congresswoman Long, from North Carolina. Yeah. And she, she'd asked Billy Long to come be her special guest. And I said, this is in 2015. And I stood there and I said, well, Donald Trump's going to win the uh, nomination and he's going to win the presidency. And Virginia, she didn't actually have a literal hook like the old vaudeville hooks, you know, but if she would, she'd have come out and grabbed me around the neck and led me away because she came up to have said, Billy, I think it's time. I had totally embarrassed her. She'll tell you this story, but I had totally embarrassed her because I told everyone in that room that Trump was going to win the primary and win the general. Frank Luntz in Las Vegas at the, the night before the first Republican debate, there were 17 people in the race. And he said, walked up to me and Barbara and he said, well, who do you think wins this? I said, well, I'll tell you right now, Frank, that Donald J. Trump's going to not only win the primary, he's going to win the general. Oh, he doubled over laughing. So me and Barbara, after the event, this is the night before the debate, we walked down the Kraft Steakhouse sitting there and then walked Frank Luntz with who? Mick Mulvaney. You ever heard of him? Mick Mulvaney. Former chief of staff. And he goes, he go, and Mick and I went into Congress he, and Frank goes, brings him over to me and said, Billy, Billy, tell Mick what you told me. Tell Mick what you told me. Well, I knew what he wanted. So I looked at Mick and I said, Trump's going to win the presidency. I mean, win the nomination and he's going to win the white house they both thought that's funniest thing they'd ever heard so uh yeah you talk all right i only got a couple of minutes left here who is going to be the republican nominee in 2024 if trump runs it's trump but is he running i i if his health holds out and everybody says was he unhealthy no he's not unhealthy but i mean you know at his age anything can happen anytime but uh I, if he's healthy and he wants to run and I think he wants to run. And I think uh, no one can stop. No one can beat him. If it's not him. DeSantis. Which is it really? That's OK. Well, that's the lame answer, Billy. You gave me the lame answer. What are you saying? Well, I, I mean, I served with Ron in, in the House. And I mean, frankly, he you know wasn't a stand. I mean, I never saw him do a whole lot in the House and everything. Nice guy, friendly guy. And so he's not a, he's didn't do anything in the House. But he started doing TV. He, he started yeah. losing weight. And I'm like. You know, anytime somebody loses weight, I always got to say, I said, either, you know, you're sick or you've got a girlfriend. And uh, <laughs> uh, you can add the third thing to that. Either you're sick, you got a girlfriend, or you're, or you're running, running for, for president. For, for governor. No, governor. Oh, for, oh, for governor. House. Okay. And, you know, and he. Well, now it's running for president. Look at Pompeo. Won that, but I've got, you know, a lot of people here in Springfield have homes down there in Florida. Sure. And I was talking to a buddy the other day, and he said a mile away, there was no houses left, and our house barely got hit. And. He said, uh, but the, everybody down here are wearing DeSantis 2024, make America Florida. And right. But that's his home base. It's, you know, Florida is going to be with DeSantis, and I think he'll win comfortably here. Um, who do, who so, do you, okay. Tr who do you think it'll be if it's not Trump? I, I don't think Trump, but I think I think DeSantis is sort of like the it could be that early Jeb Bush, Rudy Giuliani, Scott Walker, the governor that no, hasn't been vet. No I mean, no. we all these governors, I've been through enough cycles before they're up. If you're up in the polls, this two 
too early, it's a curse. So I, I'm you not remember, sold on DeSantis quite yet. I, you, I remember just, pre- you remember President Palentatum? The what? You remember President Tim Palentatum? Right, but this is what I mean. But he never got the. Uh, I did wait. a lot of I did a lot of work for the Republican Jewish Coalition. I do all their national events. I Sheldon Adelson was having an event two years before that election or whatever, and the only person he invited was Jeb Bush. And Jeb, it, and it was a private. This is a high dollar dinner at Sheldon's private hangar. At now it's uh, Harry Reid Airport. It used to be McCarran Airport. And he's got a 767 in there and a 737 and his 747's nosed into the door. And Jeb Bush gives a speech and he drones on and on. I was shorting it up here for you on and on. And the organizer of the Republican Jewish School, I said, anybody have a question for pre- for Governor Bush? Dead silent. Anybody have a question? For- Dead silent. Finally, he, Dave Cantonay, Dave, you, I know you've got a question. One of the donors, of course, Dave had to have a question. And he come up with something. So I asked him a question and he droned on. And I said, this guy is not going to be the next president of the United States, period. DeSantis is nothing like Jeb Bush. Poor Jeb. We'll see about DeSantis. I think TBD, anybody that gets too much hype early, I'm a little skeptical of what is finally, what is next for Billy Long? That's what all the listeners want to hear. Minute left, then my Zoom's going to run out and we're going to die. I was 23 years old when I got my brokers, my real estate broker's license. Now I got to go back, set for the test and take it at 67. I don't know why I can pass it, but that's job one is to get my real estate broker's license back. You're going to go back into real estate. I'd, I'd love to. Uh, well, I'll, I want to have my license to be able to sell real estate, but yeah. I'd love to go on a speaking circuit. You know, the Washington Speakers Bureau, if you know anybody there, I can I can do a speech on any subject with a drop of a hat, five minutes warning, have them rolling in the aisle. So I think that if I could get out there and get on the speaker circuit, I'd love to do that at, you know, uh, different company events and things and corporations and things i think i think i could have a good long career doing public speaking well this has launched you being on too close to call this podcast is going to launch your uh post-political speaking career congressman billy long from springfield missouri from the good old days thanks for coming on to too close to call congressman and enjoy post congress life I'm going to do it. Thank you, buddy. I would have a quarter hands to the to do it. A quarter hands to the evil to buy 300. Sold it right there. $300 to Dave Captain Love it. See you, buddy. See ya.